Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right. Welcome back to the MedTech Talent Lab. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and managing director here at the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across the medical device, diagnostics, and digital health space to build best-in-class technical teams, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, engineering, etc. cetera. Uh, excited about today's guest. I've wanted to have him on the show for quite some time, and I'm so grateful that he has uh, decided to join us. We're talking with Marcelo uh, Trevino. And Marcelo has a storied career in regulatory affairs and quality. Let me start with his formal education first. He's got his bachelor's in science uh, in industrial and systems engineering with his master's in business administration with a focus in supply chain management. And he also has his regulatory affairs management certificate. And he is a master medical device auditor uh, through Exemplar Global and is also known as a biomedical auditor through ASQ. Over the years, he's worked his way up the ladder, uh, holding various progressive leadership roles at companies like Medtronic, Nihon Kodan, Applied Medical, and now he serves as the Global Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Quality at Agendia. Now, Agendia is a really cool company. If you're not familiar with the organization, it's the only molecular diagnostics company focused solely on breast cancer. And the company utilizes groundbreaking genomic testing to generate reliable, and meaningful clinical data about the unique biology of a woman's breast cancer. So without further ado, Marcelo, hey, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, listen, we've known each other for quite some time. I've brought this to you on a couple different occasions. I'm really glad that you're here. And uh, today, you know, I want to focus on really how you got to where you are as a, you know, as an individual, as a, uh, as a leader, um, especially, you know, now with such a, uh, a large um, uh, presence in global, in global regulatory, global quality. And I think to kind of get to where we are today, we got to go back in time first, which I love doing. So I'd love to just kind of understand a little bit more about your formative years, you know, where you grew up, what your family life was like, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Mexico city. I'm the oldest of, uh, have three siblings. Uh, and then from a very early stage, you know, I was always intrigued about how things work. I was the kind of kid that was always asking questions. Uh, so a career in engineering only made sense, right? Because of all my uh, constant uh, passion to like understand how things work. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I was always very intrigued about science, about, you know, um, you know, how to make things better. And, and, and just how technology has gotten us to a point where we are. And of course, like over the last 20 years, like we've seen a lot of advances and we keep seeing them every day. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that only drove my uh, passion even further, right? To just really get into a field that uh, will allow me to answer those questions and also contribute somehow. So you've got, so you've got three siblings. So there's four kids in your family and you're the oldest? I'm the oldest, yes. Outside of school, what held your interest? What were you into as a kid? 
you know, I really like traveling. And I also, like I said, because I was such a big fan of science, it was always like yeah. to read about like science shows or books or like going to museums to just understand again how things work and the evolution of things and what's coming and what's the future, right? Like I always like the futuristic type stuff uh, just because in yeah. a way I was afraid of like, what's that going to be like? And am I going to be ready? I need to understand how this is going to work and, and how am I going to be a... Uh, how am I, I going to be able to navigate through all that change and all the new things that are coming? Were your siblings uh, into science like that as well? Or was that something that was specific to you? No, no. They were very, very different, right? They're more like into commerce and finance, and, you know, very, very interesting. Disciplines. Uh, you know, at the same time, I think because I was so intrigued about learning uh, of all these concepts, uh, I had to really spend time reading and 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 as I was asking those questions you know I had to interact with a lot of professors um, and you know a lot of people in my family were professors like my grandparents were professors my mom my dad so that also allowed me to figure out a way to explain things to people in a way that they would understand them uh, easily right because you know I learned that they were so patient and sometimes maybe they wouldn't didn't get it the first time but I think after uh, you know, different approaches, I found like, okay, this really works, right? Like if they explain it this way, uh, I can get it really fast. So then I should try to do the same when I'm trying to explain concepts to other people and coaching. I was going to say great skills to develop, uh, especially in the area of regulatory, right? Where you really have to uh, talk to multiple different types of audiences in different ways that they can understand. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially now as, as things evolve and there's just so many different standards and guidances and um, products and different approaches, right? You have to tailor it to, to the right audience. Definitely. So I always love asking this question to, to folks like yourself um, about how you got into regulatory and quality in the first place, because very rarely today it's changing a little bit, you know, with these programs that are coming out where you can actually get a, you know, a master's degree in, in regulatory affairs as a specialization. But historically, it's not a, a function that you say to yourself in school, I'm going to be in regulatory affairs. Um, so tell your story, if you would. How did you get into RAQA? You know, it all started with quality mainly because I was I was very passionate about like understanding quality and all the quality management system principles since I was in college. Um, I picked a, a bachelor's in industrial and systems engineering, as you described, uh, with a major in quality systems. And, and that really exposed me to a lot of different things that I kind of knew about, but not so much. Or like, how do we monitor quality? Like, what is our, all these systems about? What are all these processes and improving things? And, and and at that time, there were a lot of different standards that were being used in the industry, but not necessarily for medical devices, right? We had like ISO 9001 for any company that wanted to implement a quality management system, whether it was a manufacturing company or a service company. Uh, and then that started evolving because then automotive came up with their own set of standards, and aerospace, and, and then mm -hmm. later uh, medical devices. But um, I saw that there were a lot of similarities, right? Like they're all looking at risk management and how do we mitigate uh, risk across the board and how do we manage the entire supply chain so that there's quality everywhere. Uh, and I think just by doing that, I became a lead assessor at a very young age. Uh, I started working at a university, basically helping him develop uh, training materials for, for the industry, right? And so then that kind of, in a way, forced me to learn a lot of different concepts and, and see it, how it would work in reality, right? Because I would sit through some of these courses and see people that were 
working, uh, having all these questions and, and sharing their experiences of what worked and what didn't work. Um, and then after that, you know, I think it wasn't until I was in semiconductors that I just became even more intrigued about medical devices. Before that, I worked for uh, the beverage industry and uh, I was doing consulting for a lot of different companies, doing audits. So that really exposed me to a lot of things. But I found that the medical uh, field was the, part, the field where I felt like I was more passionate about uh, just because of how many uh, inventions were coming and just different approaches of doing things. And so, awesome. and so for that, you know, I had to understand the regulatory aspects of that and not just the quality, which I already had. And that was very similar, right? Like ISO 1345 and ISO 9000. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you look at 21 CFR 820, those things, yeah, there are some differences, but those were easy to, to understand. I think it was more the regulatory aspect of like, you know, how do you go about with FDA if you want to sell it or if you want to convince them that this is safe and effective, right? And then how do you use the same principles to go to Europe or China or anywhere you want to go? Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you about that because I, I mentioned today, you know, as of today, you're the global vice president of regulatory and quality, which means you're holding the top seat. And I know you have for a while at previous organizations. Was there, are there certain responsibilities or certain pivotal roles that you've held um, or projects that you've been a part of, so, certain um, areas of experience where you feel like they've really helped prep you for, for the executive role that you hold? Yeah, I think in previous roles, um, I was not just doing quality, but I think the, the way I started getting more into the compliance piece was uh, understanding other things that were critical for the organization. For example, environmental management, right? Uh, or information security management, because there's quality systems just for that, or they're not calling quality, mm -hmm. they're not called quality management systems, but management systems. And, and through that, you know, just by like raising my hand and say, I want to learn about that. Maybe this is something new, but it's something that we have to do and someone has to do it. Uh, yeah, I was a little intimidated at the beginning, but I just, you know, in a way, I think it's, again, going back to uh, me being intrigued about new things, right, and new standards. How would this apply here? How is this similar to the quality management system? That got me exposed to that. And then, you know, I, I leadership, right, at, at that early stage saw the potential in me to not only develop things, but also develop people, develop those systems, and then keep learning and growing the teams that I was leading. Mm -hmm. talk, talk more about that, because I got to tell you, I've interviewed uh, a variety of leaders, um, especially in this space over the last couple of years. And one of the common themes that I hear when I've asked this question is intrigue and being proactive and putting and asking to be put on certain projects or finding certain gaps, you know, between the cross-functional teams where they needed help and pitching in. And it's so interesting because everybody that has had that very similar type of uh, um, answer to this question is a vice president or higher right now. So there's obviously something to this. So say more, if you would, I want to hone in on this a little bit. When you say you were intrigued and, um, as far as how the different pieces came together and management saw potential in you, what do you think they were? What do you think they were latching onto, and how do you think they were able to see that in you at that time? I think what they saw was like I was asking the right questions, right, and then I was intrigued by it, and I would always try to come up with solutions on how to how to comply with things or how to implement things that were going to help the organization, 
So, for example, I was involved with a lot of design control projects, right? And then that's really the start of like anything that you have. Yeah. If you don't get that right at the beginning, then then chances are we're going to struggle when you're trying to manufacture the product, right? Or even after, yeah. right? Then you're going to get a lot of complaints. And so just starting with that and building good systems uh, within the R&D teams, uh, you know, helping people understand how things work and how the quality system also supports all that. But if we don't have good specifications and inputs and outputs and doing the right verifications and validations, we're going to struggle down the road and it's going to be a more painful exercise, right? So mm-hmm. again, just trying to come up with really pragmatic ways to to help people understand those concepts and also like, you know, making sure that the engineers or the people that are really developing those things are on the same page, right? Because otherwise, uh, especially with big companies, when there's a lot of different teams, different products, uh, you want to make sure that everybody's speaking the same language, right? And you mm-hmm. set up the standard for how you want to operate. So, so I was lucky to work with companies where I had to develop those things from scratch, right? And sometimes that made it easier, although it was more work. But I've also been with companies where like those things are already set up and you just have to follow that and then learn from the mistakes and maybe go back and fix it, which sometimes could be also uh, even more time consuming and more painful. Right? But you learn from all those experiences. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to uh, engage people and bring everyone on board and help them understand where you want to go. You know, as a headhunter, I'm often asked, how do I get to the next level? It could be, um, you know, it could be it, it, for the case of regulatory, somebody's a senior or principal specialist right now. And they're like, I really want to be a manager. I like the idea of leading people and mentoring. Or it's, a, you know, a manager who's bec- trying to become a director or it's perhaps a director who's like, one day I want to be a VP. I'm just trying to figure out how to get there. And what I always encourage is look at your supervisor what is his or her responsibility compared to yours? What is different? What do they handle that you don't? And, and how do you start to ask or start to get involved with perhaps projects that they're doing that you're not involved with yet? Um, because it's part of, not part of your scope yet. So when you look back as you kept continuing to get promoted and you were working for different organizations, you kept taking on more and more progressive leadership. Are there certain, um, is there a certain period of time or certain milestones where you felt like you had the confidence to hold the top seat? Yeah, I think there were a lot of instances where I had to be very strategic, right? In terms of how we plan for things, because sometimes there's just way too many products, projects or products or ideas that need to happen. And you have to be very selective and, and come up with a good roadmap that is going to help you be successful. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just trying to do too much. So I think at, at different stages in my career, I was I was presented with that. Like I had to come up with a very robust plan that was thinking more futuristic, right? And I think that's important as a leader to be able to plan for that. Uh, the other piece that's key is the, the people management skills, right? Like, you know, how to get a good team that's going to help you get there. And, and, you know, how do you define expectations? become a good leader so that people feel like, you know, they, they feel part of the team. It's not just work that you're doing, but you want to have them engaged. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you always have to find, uh, you know, how, what, what triggers and what motivates people. And it's not just the work, but you know, they, there's different things. And so I'm always thinking about that. Like if I want to be successful, then I need to have a good team that also not only believes in the company, but believes in me and where we're going with all this, but they also have to feel excited. And so I always ask those questions and see what projects are we dealing with? How do I get them to, to that? How, what, what, everybody's different, right? Everybody has different needs. 
Mm -hmm. So that was one aspect of that. But I think as I was sharing with you earlier, just, just raising my hand always to say, okay, I want to be part of that team. I had a lot of opportunities where I had to participate in like due diligence activities. Maybe we're trying to buy another company or assess what was going on with certain aspects of the company, maybe doing supplier assessments, right? Because we needed a new critical component. Uh, and then through that, throughout that process, then you find, well, what if we try to approach this other vendor or try to qualify a new material, right? And so one thing leads to another. I think it's just like the quality thing, right? Just by being so interested in quality, then somehow I ended up in medical devices, understanding the, the regulations. But as part of that, yeah, being intrigued and, and not being afraid of, um, you know, just understanding things that might be foreign, a little new, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh, willing to take those risks. And, and yeah get the challenges yeah. because they're always there, right? There's always a ton of challenges. And I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, what, what is comparable in my life? And <clears throat> I've been a headhunter for a long time. This is probably my 13th year and I've owned the Anthony Michael group. I started the Anthony Michael group, I should say five and a half years ago. And I was doing as much, having as many conversations as I could about, you know, taking the plunge of starting my own business and the risks involved and what's it going to be like. And, You know, I think about you taking probably your first top spot and you probably knew what your boss was going through at the time. You've seen other colleagues go through it, but until you actually do it, you can't, you know, you can only anticipate so much, but if you use the same formulas that helped you be successful all along, which is being proactive, having intrigue, asking questions, being resourceful, all the things that create a formula for success. It's just a different, it's just a different environment to, to utilize similar, um, uh, I guess a similar game plan is, is what I'm trying to say. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And cause you don't know what you don't know. It's just a matter of at some point you got you take the leap. Yeah. And you also have to be okay with the fact that in this role, you have to multitask a lot, right? Some people yeah. get overwhelmed with that. And, you know, that's fine. Some people just want to do one thing. Like maybe I just want to manage the quality systems or the capas mm-hmm. or the audits. Um, and that's totally fine. Uh, but in, in this leadership role, like it just comes from all different angles, right? Because you have to deal with that. But then you also have to be thinking about the next products that are down the pipeline and how you're going to get into market and what obstacles you're going to face and how you're going to answer those questions. And is there something you need to be doing now, right? Because otherwise the site control is not going to be finished in order to, for you to be able to finish the, the product to transfer to production, right? And, and there's mm-hmm. all these timelines and, and things on top of the regular audits and, you know, FDA knocking on your door and new guidances. And so it's, it's, it's an area where you, you have to be comfortable with, with all of that. Right. And it's just, it just Absolutely. requires a lot of planning, but, um, at the same time, uh, just, just having a, a good plan to be able to establish, uh, how are you going to tackle all that? Talk to me a little bit about culture. Um, I, in a way I kind of cringe at the word because I feel like it can be very, you know, it's a buzzword. It's cliche sometimes, but I'd love to know your, your definition of the word culture and whatever definition that is, how are you trying to build that within your organization, um, specifically within, you know, the functional areas that you're responsible for regulatory and quality? Well, to me, the, the culture is like the belief system that the organization has, right? Like what, what's important to them? Uh, what are the values that they share and, and what's, what's really important? And so uh, that really sets the message of how 
how they operate and, and, and how everybody connects with each other, right? There's organizations where it's okay to ask a lot of questions. Some others, you just have to follow uh, whatever the senior leadership says. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think, you know, it, it's important as individuals that we, we um, be careful at the case at the beginning with the companies that we join because everybody has its own culture, right? And so there's companies that are very successful either way. They might have a very unique approach to handle things where like they, maybe there's a lot of flexibility, maybe maybe there isn't. Uh, but if you're not okay with that, then it's always going to be a conflict, right? Because you're not going to be um, aligned with with that. And it's going to be mm-hmm. hard for, for individuals to thrive if, if they don't allow you to be successful in that environment because maybe you feel too constrained or there's not a lot of opportunities for you to come up with different ideas. Um, so I always try to, um, you know, make sure that people feel comfortable and, and open because that's also the type of c- companies that I join uh, where like I have that uh, uh, flexibility to like come up with different ways to to uh, commercialize the products and, and, and be successful. Um, you know, that's something that's always very important. Also, like being open with people and communicating, you know, that's that's important for me. Right. And every company and every leader has its own set of values uh, and culture that they bring into the company. Uh, to me, that's that's always uh, critical and it's important. And, and um, it has to align at the end of the day with where the company wants to go and how they manage things, because otherwise, even as a leader, uh, you would struggle, right? If, if, uh, you have some ideas or some approaches that you want to implement and they don't believe in them. I love what you said about the belief system, but uh, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about the times that you've moved to different organizations. And we mentioned some of the companies you've worked for at the beginning, you've worked for some big players. Um, and so I believe, um, that the bigger the company, there's culture within culture within culture, right? Oh, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times people say when they consider making a move, oh, it's got to be a good cultural fit. Well, let me ask you this directly. When you've interviewed for positions in the past and then you thought the, the organization was one way and kind of what the cultural environment really was, was it consistent with, with what ended up being when you, joined, when you ended up coming on board or was it drastically different from what you had thought in the interview process? Sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't, right? It's just one of those things that you just can't tell um, through an interview. Just like, you know, it also happens that you know, you're interviewing a candidate and uh, they might sound some, some way yeah. and then yeah. they turn out not to be exactly as what you expected. Uh, so it's it's been a combination, right, of, of things. And sometimes I've been also very surprised about that stuff that I never even thought that they had or like some that belief system that was like, oh, they really futuristic. Maybe I didn't think about it this way. I thought it was just mm-hmm. more like set up and they just wanted to focus on this type of product, right? But they're also wanting to do these other things and they're trying to implement new tools to allow people to do that because they really believe in uh, you know, growth and, and innovation. Uh, yeah. You just you just never know, right? I think it's just, that's just the bottom line. You yeah. can do a lot of research, but it's, it's hard. One, yeah, research, exactly. I was just going to say one of the things that we've been harping on is candidates and interviewers, you know, um, prospective employers don't have to just take the interview at face value. There's references that you can do. We call backdoor references that are completely ethical, where you talk to former supervisors, you know, as an off the record conversation about the person. Even if you feel confident, it's just another 
data point of how am I going to help this person develop? It doesn't have to be negative. It's more another data point. With people who are interviewing, it's more so, okay, who else can I talk to who's either A, worked at the company in the past, or perhaps it's a cross-functional partner that I can try to connect with and ask their opinion to get as many data points as it can. Because you're right, you can only know so much in the interview. And I think the more that people can take it upon themselves to do the extra pieces that are kind of going the extra mile, the better uh, decisions on both the hiring and the uh, and the candidate side. But I bring that up because I also want to get your opinion on over the years as you've built your teams and hired people, how do you spot top performance? And how do you contrast that? How do you distinguish that from average performance? I would say it's just the same things that, you know, kind of drove me to, uh, you know, be so attracted. So I'm looking for people that are passionate about what they're doing, right? Like quality, um, people that are not afraid to try different approaches, you know, within regulatory, it's not always black and white, right? There's a lot of gray and you have to be able to uh, like I was sharing earlier, like to tailor the message and to understand, okay, how is this really going to be applied here? Um, it's important to have great experiences from other organizations or from implementing different quality systems. But at the end of the day, each company and its product is going to be different. And, and as new standards and new guidance come, guidances come up, you have to be creative on how you're going to actually make it work. Of course, staying within the, the regulatory boundaries, right? You're not going to you're gonna, you have to follow that. Um, but, but there's a lot of different ways to get there. And I, so I'm always looking for people that are creative, that are innovative, um, that are looking for ways to, to, to fix problems that is not just the same, the same way that everybody has done it, right? But they're not afraid to, to think a little bit outside the box. Uh, and sometimes that's hard because people are afraid or like, can I deviate, you know, one inch because then I'm going to be in trouble. And that's yeah. not necessarily true. I think it's, it's more, uh, have you even thought about this, right? Like, is this really the only way? And, and I always find that it's not always the case. And so I like, I like uh, candidates that can bring that to the table, just different perspectives, different, uh, different experiences. And just like me, you know, I, sometimes I, I know it's also hard because people uh, in this industry, they, they tend to hire only people from medical, right? Because they all already understand the regulations, but for me, you know, I came from other industries, right, with aerospace and automotive, and I was doing audits, and those skills were very transferable, right? So I'm always also looking for those type of candidates that, that can bring that to the table, that understand risk management principles, not necessarily just for medical devices, but there are other industries that, you know, use different tools, and those tools are very, very uh, transferable. And, and if anything, you know, you can only beef up your quality systems to make them better from learning on, on from a different vantage point. Yeah. You know, I hear this all the time, the ability to operate within the gray, right? Because I think that there's two, there's two philosophies to regulatory, especially there's the police of the organization, and then there's the advocate for the organization. How far can we push things to help the company achieve their marketing objectives, their product development objectives, but at the same time, still stay within, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the boundaries of where we need to be. How? Do, what's your advice for people who they want to be known as that I, that they can operate in the grave? They just don't know how to take more chances or how to feel more comfortable with, you know, letting the creativity happen. Any advice as maybe how you've developed that or how you help your team develop that? Yeah, I would just encourage them to ask questions, right, and and to feel safe. Uh, 
you know, talking to other colleagues or other other people about, you know, what do you think about this? This is is this really uh, another way where we can comply or we can get there, right? Sometimes people are afraid that oh, if I say that, they're going to think it's a stupid idea, and now no one's going to listen to me, or I'm going to look a fool in front of my boss and all my colleagues. But I, I think it should be the opposite. Like people need to feel comfortable just just asking and always like just do a brainstorming session, right? Like. And, and again, that's part of that culture that you were asking about. Uh-huh. Is it okay? Or people feel like you cannot really uh, question things because if it's not the right answer, then then no one's going to respect you anymore. Yeah. Or they're going to think that you don't know what you're doing, right? And I, I think that's really important that we give people flexibility to, to speak up their minds and try, you know, just analyze different approaches, right? It might be that a lot of things might be great, some others maybe not necessarily, right? But at least they'll know. And 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 just having that opportunity to feel safe in that space to to be able to, to ask those questions is really what's going to make a difference. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I think that's such a, a, an important note. Hey, you've got really to continue to help develop your own skills. So you got to be in an environment where it's okay to take chances or at least ask questions. And, uh, and the more that you can ask, the more that you can de- almost develop your arsenal of, you know, different strategies that may or may not work. But the point is you have to be creative and continue to, to ask and innovate. Otherwise it can be very easy to get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think that would be my recommendation on that. Okay. You know, I know you got a lot of uh, a lot of juice left in the tank, but I want you to be creative. No pun intended, I guess, at this point, but be creative for a minute. Fast forward to your retirement party. Everybody's gathering around. COVID doesn't exist. You know, we're all ha- we're all having a ball and uh, it comes time to honor you. And um, during the speeches, what are you hoping they would say about you and, and kind of the legacy you leave behind? Well, I hope they would say that, you know, with someone that allow them to to um, ask the difficult questions and also to get more creative. Uh, I hope they they also see me as someone that uh, was a good coach and help them understand different concepts and different approaches, right? To to understand things because I you know that's something that I've always been passionate about, just coaching and teaching and explaining things in a way that uh, is easy so that they can get it. And then from there they can, they can make it their own. Uh, and so I hope they see that, uh, my, my simplification of explaining those things really help them become better, uh, either individual contributors or leaders. Right. And, uh, that's really what I hope they, they would, they would. Awesome. They would see. Someone that, you know, coach them, mentor and, 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 uh, encourage them to not be afraid to, to ask the, the right questions or not even the right questions, any questions. That's awesome. I love that. So, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that um, more often than not, people by happenstance end up in regulatory. Uh, you know, quality might be a little bit different story, but, um, and I know that you got your certificate, your master's um, or your regulatory affairs management certificate. Um, couple things. What's your opinion or advice as far as maybe cross-functional team members that are working in a completely different department, but they have an interest in trying to get into regulatory? Do you have any advice as to, you know, a good path to consider as, as far as them trying to move into the, in that direction? Yeah, I think those programs are good. And, and lately, I think there's way more programs that when I first took mine, right? Mm-hmm. 
a couple of years ago, it was not very common to see universities offering those those types of programs. I would recommend, again, doing your research and then finding the ones that not only combine the technical aspects of, of regulatory, but the, really the practical things, right? Because you could be very technical about all the laws and, you know, how to do a submission and, you know, C marks and all that. But what does that really mean? Again, if, if, if you don't learn how, how to do that in a practical way, then it's going to be hard to, you know, join an organization and, and be able to implement that, right? So I would join the, or research the programs that allow you to get a little bit more of a practical experience or like case studies and things like that. So you can really get, uh, a good understanding of, of how that works uh, because it could be applied to different things, right? It could be medical devices, in vitro diagnostic tests, uh, and so many different technologies. And so you kind of have to understand there's a lot of similarities, but also different approaches depending on where you want to go. And you know, that's how the program, I think, would help, right? Because they, for the most part, I think they have pretty good foundations on all the technical aspects, right? Like how to deal with FDA, like the post-market surveillance aspects of things, design mm-hmm. controls. Uh, but you kind of have to force yourself to understand, okay, so now that I understand, now that I have all these concepts and how, how do they apply in reality, right? And, and, and you as a contributor, like how would you actually execute these things, right? Because in, within regulatory, you know, you might find companies where you're doing a lot of that or you might just be doing one little piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But either way, you kind of have to understand how all the, the, the pieces fit in together. Do you think, a, a, as far as undergrad degree, do you think that a technical degree is beneficial? It gives them an advantage or, or not necessarily? Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, it, and again, it all depends on the type of program and how it's structured. And I think it's, it's always good to have that balance of, you know, just really having some practical understanding of, things instead of just the, the technical aspect of the laws and, and the regulations, which is also extremely important, right? Yeah. But, uh, I, I would, I would uh, encourage you to find the one that has the hybrid modality. So I want to wrap up in a minute, but what's, tell us real quick, just what's going on with it at Agendia these days? What are you guys excited about? What, you know, how does things look uh, as far as the rest of 2021? Because I know you guys are doing unbelievable stuff in the area of breast cancer. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we're always trying to to, to uh, try different approaches to things, you know, and, and me like also one thing that I didn't share, but I'm also looking for ways to streamline processes and activities. And so that that on its own carries a lot of different projects. Right. So I have a Six Sigma Black Belt certification. And so I'm always looking at, OK, how can we optimize things? How can we make things more efficient? Uh, and so it's easy to come up with a lot of projects. But, you know, these days. Uh, of course, the in vitro diagnostic regulation is, is huge in Europe, and that's coming up. So making a lot of progress there to have all of our files ready in a couple of months. Um, and then, you know, the basic things that never stop, like we have you know, the audits and we always, I always, I always say to everyone, we have to be out of ready all the time, right? Because you just never know. Uh, instead of like always trying to prepare, oh, FDA is going to come or this, this, this agency is going to come. I, I'd rather just always be ready because this is how we live in. This is industry requires you to always be ready. Probably less stress that way too, huh? Versus like last minute. Home. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just make it, it's just, like, it's just part of doing business, right? Like, let's just do that. Uh, so we, we have that. And then of course, uh, you know, new, new ideas and, and projects and development. And so that on its own also carries, uh, 
a lot of work and a lot of collaboration across different teams. Uh, so we were very excited and we're very innovative and also very open. And, you know, even though we're a small company, uh, we're constantly talking to each other. And sometimes, you know, that's challenging because of the time differences with the team in Europe. But we always make it work, right? You know, there's there's a lot of different tools and, you know, it just requires a little bit of planning. Well, I tell you what, man, I've got the utmost respect for you. You've built uh, a heck of a career, and I know that the future's bright at Agendia because, like I say, you guys are doing some amazing things. In the show notes, we'll include a link uh, to the organization so that if people are interested, they could check it out. And, and certainly, uh, it would encourage folks uh, to connect with you on LinkedIn if, if you're okay with that. That would be great. And otherwise, I, I, like I said, I really appreciate you being here, and congrats on everything that you've accomplished in your uh, career to date. Thank you for having me, man. Real pleasure as usual. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.